give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem I'm going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA Draft fans? Your boys are back. The Draft Tag. NBA Draft Podcast. I am Corey Sullivan, your host of the Draft Act Podcast, alongside my co-host, Garbage Time, Albert Gim. Albert, how are we doing this week, bud? Dude, it's I don't even know how to answer that question. I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. And the reason why it's so hard to answer that question is because we've got so much going on, Corey. And I know you're going to talk about it and give a little intro about all the exciting things happening. But yeah, I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling really, really great. I feel very vulnerable right now just because I'm starting to write again and I haven't written in a long time. And but that's the thing that's that, you know, I, I'm thankful, you know, Professor, Professor Tullibah continues to push me to broaden my horizon. So we're in a good place and I'm ready to go because we've got a freaking exciting prospect to talk about today. We do. And, you know, you're hinting at it. Um, you know, if you've been on Twitter, you've probably seen us post about it. But we started uh, Albert, myself, Tyler Rucker from Backcourt Violation, Nathan from Draft Deeper, Tyler Metcalf, who's been on the show before, uh, Draft Film School, Alex. Uh, I mean, a whole bunch. Evan Wheeler, um, Nick. The the team is loaded. Uh, it's called No Ceilings, and we're taking the NBA draft coverage to a whole new place this this draft season. We put the team together. We're writing every day. This week, we're banging out conference. Uh, previews for all the draft prospects that you're going to want to pay attention to during the college season. We're going to hit, you know, the other guys too, from, you know, the G league international, all that um, at some point as well. But uh, it's been fun. You know, you said you've been writing again. I I mean, writing is something that when I started this whole thing, it wasn't video, it wasn't audio. It was, I started doing it writing, you know, when I started, and that's why I I had the the moniker, the hardwood Herald when I started, because I, I honestly wanted it to be a collective and, you know, I thought like, you know, the Boston Herald, these old timey newspapers. Right. And so I wanted to be, you know, basketball in general, as things got niched down a little bit, you know, going through a little bit of a rebrand. You know, I know you went with Garbage Time Gim. You got all your sick artwork out there. So check that out on it on uh, Garbage Time Gim's Twitter. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm going with the draft NBA draft dude now. Um, the Hardwood magazine is not dead. Uh, you know, the Hardwood brand lives on. But um you know, the the Hardwood Herald, I think, is has passed me by because now we got this new project, No Ceilings, and we're going to be doing a lot of audio recordings, video and st- with all the guys on the team. It's going to be a lot of collaboration, and I'm really excited about it. But today, we're here to talk about Patrick Baldwin Jr., mm-hmm. who's a very exciting prospect. Um, I know that you th- you know I, I I love guys like this, so I- I'm excited to hear your opinion on on old PBJ. Um, so let's uh, let's just get right into uh, Mr. Baldwin. Headed to the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, he was a highly recruited guy. You know all the big schools passed up for him in the Big Three with Duke, with Paolo and AJ Griffin. Um, he's currently 18. He'll be 19 by draft time. 6'9", 220. Reported 6'11", wingspan, which seems right, but it's, you know, it was hard to find, a little old. So, I, you know, we'll see what it ends up being when he actually measures out ahead of the draft. Um, junior year stats, 24.3 points per game, 10.8 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 1.7 blocks. And uh, this summer at the 
FIBA U19 tournament for Team USA. He averaged 7.7 points, five rebounds, two assists. He was also the Gatorade Player of the Year in Wisconsin in 2020. Preseason stock price. ESPN has him at 10. SB Nation has him at 4. Tankathon has him at 7. Basketball News has him at 7. Bleacher Report has him at 9. That's an average stock price of 7.4. So, Albert, I ask you. Is Patrick Baldwin Jr. stock price too high, too low, or is it just right headed into the college season? Hmm. This is like for the first time for this draft cycle or this draft period, whatever. Uh, this might be the hardest one yet. Um, you know, we've had Chet and Paolo and whatever. Um, it sounds pretty close to me. Like, I don't have a huge problem with seven. I think for me personally, I think I'd have him a little bit higher. Um, but you know, we're going to speak to our biases in terms of how we, uh, evaluate these prospects that I think Corey, as you kind of hinted at, and, you know, you kind of gave a precursor to you and I like prospects like these guys, like, like Patrick Baldwin, Baldwin Jr. So I'm going to go ahead and say it is slightly low for my taste because I think right now I have them a little bit higher than seven. I think that's fair. I, I think that your reasoning's fair, and I think that his stock price is fair with you alongside of you. Um, you know, you notice a trend outside of SB Nation, which is a little bit of an outlier at four. Most of the, the outlets have him, you know, in that seven to ten range. I think that Baldwin is definitely one of the guys that could play his way into the top five, but I think that if he ended up in that, you know, five to ten range as well, it wouldn't shock me either. Uh, do I have him above 7.4 i think so i think i do um there's a lot of really fun prospects in this class and you know the, the i'm sure that i'll end up having him at, at either five or six uh when my rankings are are done and i release those before the, the actual college season starts but 7.4 is fair it's it's uh you know he and i think he's out to prove by going to wisconsin that he's a guy that has aspirations to be picked higher than that. I think that was, that was the move. Cause I think that if he ended up going to one of these blue bloods, maybe where he's not in a featured role, like he will be playing for his father in, in Milwaukee. I think maybe there's a chance that this was actually the right spot for him. Cause he's a, a complimentary player, but complimentary versus number one option that that could be a theme that, you know, we see going forward this year. So let's get into the scouting report. Uh, what stands out? to you the most about Baldwin offensively? Mm, well, you know what? This is perfect because um, in our recent pods, we've always been starting with the shooting. And I think we would be madmen to not start off with his shooting because his shooting is so damn impressive. But yeah. Corey, I think this is something that I'm pretty sure you touched on. I think you touched on this in your breakdown video of him on your YouTube page. Yeah. Shouts to uh, your YouTube page. Um, but and that your channel and that video, because you talked a lot about him being a, I don't know if you use this word, these words exactly, but this is kind of where my mind went, but you talked about him being like a mid range technician mm. with some of the stuff that you talked about and how he's really smooth in the mid range. I believe that's exactly what you said. Um, and that's something that really stuck out to me. And I'm really excited to talk about because uh, I think you and I are kind of on the same page when we talk about like the importance of mid-range shooting in this day and age of the NBA and ha has always been, I think, for a very long yeah. time, forever. Um, but people want to kind of discredit the mid-range shot and people want to look at charts and graphs and show how everyone's taking threes and layups. But you get to the playoffs, you get to the finals and you need a mid-range killer. 
people forget how important uh, guys like Chris Middleton were. Oh yeah. Uh, in the finals, and I kind of want to throw that out there because, uh, look, I, I don't want to spoil it, but he's one of the guys that I thought of when I was breaking down on um, watching Pat, um, Patrick Baldwin Jr. But anyway, uh, for me, Corey, um, I, I I love his shooting. I think the stroke looks beautiful. It's yeah. just a beautiful looking shot, man. It's like one of those shots where you, you get jealous and you're like, how come I was never able to shoot like that? What was it about my body? How did God create me <laughs> that I can't have the same ability? But it, it's beautiful, right? It, it's kind of picturesque. And so I love his jump shot and I love his mid-range, you know, technician stuff that we'll get into more detail. But to start, I think that what his shooting sticks out to me the most for sure. For sure. It's it's where I think you're gonna you're gonna start everything with him. Uh I'll, I'll stay on the, the mid-range stuff. I, you mentioned, like, the playoffs, the finals. You know, that's when mid-range becomes important. But, honestly, my Chicago Bulls are 4-0 right now. Mm. And DeMar DeRozan's hit a lot of tough shots in the fourth quarters at the elbows. And that's, you know, obviously we had Zach Levine who could do that as well. But when you have guys that, that are capable of getting to their spot, where they're comfortable and hitting shots. Do you want guys like DeRozan chucking away those shots for, uh, you know, the the whole game? Maybe not necessarily. You, you definitely want to see these guys mix it up. And I think Baldwin is, is capable of that. He's not like DeRozan where he's just stuck in the mid-range. But, man, he feels comfortable there. And, you know, he he it's not like, you know, he's a guy that is Kurt Thomas pick and pop to the elbow, and that's really his only shot, right? He's got He's got shot creation ability there. He can, you know, get to, to it. Kurt Thomas. Oh my God. <laughs> Love Kurt Thomas. He was a great Nick and a great bull. So, oh I yeah. Mean, oh yeah. Crazy eyes, you know, the, the precursor to, to Bobby Portis in some ways. Mm, mm. <laughs> I like Kurt <laughs> Thomas a little bit more on the bulls. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he could just face you up and shoot over you because he's long, he's big, he's tall. You know, I've seen 6'9, I've seen 6'10, and he's got a high release. So he could just jab step, face, you know, face you up like that. He can get you with some combo moves, get you leaning and shoot over you that way. He can take it in transition, kind of stop on a dime. He even can shoot off movement a little bit. And you saw that in the FIBA tournament where he was kind of a guy who wasn't featured as much as he was in, you know, his high school games. So I I love it. I think that sometimes he relied on it a little bit and uh, too much. And in high school, you're going to, that's going to happen. You know, guys are elite prospects in high school are so much more talented than most of their counterparts. Even like when you're looking at guys that are, you know, really good high school players and are competing in the, you know, state championship or whatever. Most of those guys aren't elite NBA prospects. So Patrick Baldwin Jr. is just, he's probably been the best player on the, the floor in these high school games almost every single time he stepped on the court. Obviously, the AAU stuff, a little bit different. You know, he played with different guys, Jalen Johnson, whatnot. But uh, he just, he was able to get to his spots and it never be a problem. And you don't really have to worry about efficiency because scoring is so easy um, for these guys at the high school level. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see how he mixes it up in college because I do want to see him add, uh, you know, more of that three ball for some of these shots. Like some of these shots, he is kind of stepping into long twos and you're just like, all right, well either get in a little closer or move a little bit further back. The long two stuff was a little where you're like, you're going to have to be cognizant of that at the next level. Um, the three ball, I mean, you mentioned his shot looks so pretty and there are times where he just like flawless, effortless, like 
I don't need to say anything more. But then there are times too where I think that maybe I could foresee him having an adjustment period to a, a further line a little bit because he front rims a lot when he misses. It's consistent. It's something he'll work out. I'm not worried about it long-term, but I think, you know, it wouldn't shock me if like, you know, he had a couple games early on in the college season where, you know, the, the percentages don't look nearly as good as the jumper does leaving his hand. Yeah, no, dude, Corey, I, I think it's really important what you just said because it's twofold. I think the first thing that you said about the competition, I think the context in which that he played is really, really important for our evaluation of him so far, obviously. And to be honest, like I wonder how much that's going to change in college because as you mentioned, he's not playing for one of the Blue Blood schools. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how he met, well, who he ends up playing because when we were watching his high school tape, a lot of it was against really small guys uh, and let's call it for whatever it, what it is right a lot of his competition were guys who are like you know barely touching six feet really trying to guard him and so for those types of shots I, I you know to be honest Corey I think he did take a lot of liberties in settling for bad shots because he had like smaller guys on him I think in his head he's like oh I could just shoot this over anybody and sometimes maybe he didn't push himself to take it all the way to the rim or maybe he wasn't heady enough to take a step back and take the three as you mentioned um but it is something that's you know we're gonna have to monitor especially because like i don't even know how we're gonna watch his games playing for milwaukee i feel like it's gonna be hard <laughs> to find his games but and i did want to mention what you mentioned about his uh him uh short rimming stuff I, mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that i do wonder Corey, if some of that is and Obviously, I think you can give more context on this. I wonder if some of that was like sometimes laziness or not. Sorry, lazy. Lazy is harsh. Maybe it's like maybe he's just tired from carrying so much of the load on his team where because of that fatigue, he was like settling for shots and then maybe wasn't fully engaging like his legs and his cores into the shot and just kind of arm shooting for some of them uh, is something that I worry about. Because like when you watch the U19 stuff, like when he's like set, and he has time and he, you know, isn't like the main, main guy. I, I, it looked almost like flawless to me. So if anything, maybe I'm kind of flipping this and asking you a question as, you know, our resident high school coach here. You feel like <laughs> if you can speak a little bit more to this shortness, because I thought maybe it was because of like straight up fatigue or like wear and tear. Yeah. Well, you know, first thing you look at, he's not a guy who has like a big jump in his shot. You know, it's it's kind of the new age. It's almost like a set shot. Um, and as you go through the game and you get tired, your legs get tired, you do have to put more power into your shot. You do have to use your legs more because everything else is it's just a, off a little bit because of the fatigue. So, you know, maybe I think when he gets with him, uh, you know, college conditioning, you know, that actual guys who are figuring out how to make the most out of his ability and especially when he gets to the nba i think you know you could bang that out with strength and conditioning definitely helps in, in that regard um but uh, a lot of times too because like it's, it's when you're just short rimming you know you're you're aiming for a certain spot sometimes and that consistency leads to consistent misses and and you know hitting the front of the rim is a good miss you know there's good misses bad misses good makes bad makes and uh, he has a lot of good misses because it looks clean. And it looks like a shot he could hit, and maybe it just didn't go in. You know, sometimes um, you miss shots. Uh, and right. uh, I, I, like I said, I, I'm not worried about it long term. Mm -hmm. I think the more reps he gets uh, at the higher levels, especially, um, right. you know, 
uh, being the man, it, mm-hmm. I, I'm interested right. to see how he improves over the course of the season. I'm not going to freak out if mm-hmm. he starts out as a guy who has this pretty jump shot, but he's shooting 35, 36%. I am interested to see how much he does play off ball at the next level as well. I mean, I fully, he's playing for his dad, you know, coach's son. And what happens when you play with the coach's son, right? Featured in whatever the offense, they're the pitcher, they're the quarterback typically, right? They, whatever the best, the best position is, that's when mm-hmm. they get to play. He's also the best talent. He's probably the best right. talent that this school has ever had. So mm-hmm. he deservedly so is going to be the number one option, but I, so much of his game that is intriguing is that he does have the off the bounce stuff. He's got that smooth shot creation ISO stuff, but he's also so good off the ball. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how Milwaukee actually uses him off the ball. So what did you see, um, you know, watching some of the, you know, high school AAU FIBA stuff that intrigued you about, Baldwin as you know an off-ball guy um you know it's funny like I, I just keep coming back to the context thing like even what you just said like I think all of it is so deeply intertwined like all of like the things that we're kind of critiquing things that we're unsure about things we're excited about like all of these really are a lot of them are deeply intertwined with who he was playing against. And I feel like a lot of people are going to bring that up in their evaluations of him because he's a guy who showed a lot. As you mentioned, the on-ball stuff, we'll get more into that. We'll get into the handle and stuff like that. But off the ball, like, I don't know if I saw so much in high school. Like, you know, there would be possessions when they're playing against zone. He'd be at the high post. He'd catch it, turn and shoot. Looks good. It looks good. How much of that he's going to see in the in college and pros? Not sure. I definitely he'll see more in college than in the pros. But even in U19 stuff, like I, I liked how he was moving off ball. I liked him in transition. I liked mm. him spotting up. I liked him coming off pin downs, all that stuff. You know, I was like, oh, this is really good stuff. And now it, I really do feel like he's going to find himself in this place at Milwaukee and then on the next level as well, trying to figure out who he is. Right. And that might be more. And once again, I'm going to defer to you on this. I want to ask you, actually, do you feel like personality is a big part of that, too? Because, like, you know, some guys are just built to be alphas. Right. Like Cam Thomas last year was he was an absolute (laughs) alpha, like silverback alpha. alpha. Yeah. Heck yeah. You know, like he's like destroyer. Right. But I wonder what you saw from Patrick Baldwin Jr. Because I think this is going to be a real kind of fork in the road for him. I don't know if it happens in college or in the NBA, but he's going to have to figure out, well, not not necessarily figure out, but I wonder, is he going to be able to leverage his skills and his talent plus personality into becoming an alpha? Or is he going to be more of a supporting really high level number two, number three, because as you mentioned, the off the ball stuff was really good. Like I, I liked his, I liked his activity. I thought he had really good awareness on the court. Like he wasn't just trying to like go and rip the ball from his teammates and like, give me this. I got, this. I didn't really get that feeling from him at all. No. Um, but at the same time, Corey, like, you know, this too, sometimes to be an alpha, you need to kind of have that in you as well. And so once again, I want to kind of turn this on you. I don't know if I'm interviewing you this, this uh, episode, but I want to kind of get your perspective on this because uh, dude, you deal with high school kids. So how do you think that personality piece is going to come into this? And what have you kind of read from Patrick Baldwin Jr. as like a young prospect personality wise? Well, you know, touching on that stuff. I mean, that's at the high school level, at every level, it's, I think it's, 
that's one of the things that's hard to adjust to in the NBA is that a lot of these guys were alphas at at the lower levels. And some of them, they have a hard time not being the alpha. And when their skills aren't alpha enough for them, it they don't know how to adjust and, and fall back and be a role player. And that's why a lot of guys who you know are role players coming into the league end up kind of having these eye-popping careers. And I mean, you I think you even see it with a guy like Chris Duarte, who's stepping mm. into this role right away. And I think that Duarte's got a little bit of dog, a little bit of alpha personality in him. And I think he had that opportunity last year at Oregon. But, you know, when he played with Peyton Pritchard the year before, you know, right. that was Pritchard's team. And he knew how to kind of be that guy who was able to fall back and play off of that, right? And now he's coming in, he's he's leading the rookies in scoring, I think, at this point. We're early, and, and I don't expect him to lead all rookies in scoring by the end of the year. But, um, you know, you see that. And, and I think Baldwin maybe has a little bit of that in him because there are moments... But one of the questions I have it in my notes, I was going to ask you, like, does he have dog in him? Does he have the dog in him? Can he be a number one? Can he be a number two? Or is he best suited to be a number three? Is he a, 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 a 2B, 2A kind of guy? You know, is three selling him short? That was a question that I had. And I, I mm. we seemingly both have that. So I think what that right. means is that we saw from him, he was comfortable playing off the ball. I think part of that is being a coach's son. He understands the game, right? He knows how to kind of just, fit into the team structure and that's a good thing right. uh you know he and talking about that in the context of off-ball shooting right he can come off dho's and mm -hmm. and quickly let it fly he can shoot it off movement he could pick and pop you mentioned and i think we'll see a lot of it in college where you just put him at the nail in a right. against a two three and he just quick turn easy mm -hmm. money but a lot of guys in high school aren't okay with playing off the ball and they're not just like, all right, whatever's best for the team. Right. Right. He was kind of just like, all right, whatever. Like you want, you want to give me the ball. You don't want to give me the ball. Like that's fine. I'll figure out a way to make it work. It's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a double-edged sword. There's a yin and the yang. So I, but I like, you know, part of the reason I think that he's going to play for his dad. And I'm sure just having that opportunity to play high level ball for your father in college is incredibly it's enticing cool. right it's right. super cool it's something that you'll always remember and you know it i think it's it helps ease your transition into this next level because it's somebody you feel comfortable with someone you can confide in but the interesting thing is is like he didn't want to be the number three guy on duke mm. you know i i i think that we're gonna see like can he be this number one alpha dog by going to this mid-major where for all intents right. and purposes, he should rip, you know, apart, you know, if, right. if he's as good as we think he is and he's got pedigree gold medalist this summer, um, he should be able to put up some, some pretty eye opening stats at times in, in this, you know, <laughs> league that mm -hmm. he's in this conference he's in. So, uh, I think that we don't know if he has that dog in him, that alpha personality yet, but I think I, I like the decision to, for himself to go and find out if he does have it. Okay. Okay. Th dude, I think that's really, really fair. Um, the one thing I'll say, and I really agree with you on that. I, I think we're going to learn that this year. And that's why we need to give him the leeway to try things out in Milwaukee. I do want to say this though, Corey, watching the U19 stuff yeah. felt very much like that might be his role one day. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, yeah, and I don't yeah. think that's a bad thing. Like, I know some people might listen to our pod and be like, oh, you guys are doubting him. You're putting him down. I'm like, mm, am I? Because is it bad to be an elite number two or number three guy in the NBA? Yeah. Those guys make a shit ton of money. Look at the contract Mikhail Bridges just got. And he might have deserved he might have gotten more if he went somewhere yeah, else on have. the open market. You know what and I'm saying? And deservedly so. so. Yeah, like if we say Patrick Baldwin ends up becoming a hundred million dollar guy, that's a good thing. That is not a bad thing, you know. I'll like that's a really awesome. I would exactly. love for some if someone said that about me, that would be great. Right. <laughs> hey, Corey, the draft tag pod is a hundred million dollar pod. Right. All right no that, ceilings that's what brand will exactly. sell it. You know, Spotify. If oh, you're yeah. listening, you know, we got the video <laughs> podcast going. You know. But um, I do want to say, like, you mentioned the Duarte thing. And I think that's really interesting because one of my big regrets uh, that from us is that we didn't do a Duarte pod because yep. you and I really like Duarte. I love Duarte. You love Duarte. I, I was, know. I know. What I, I already have regrets that I had him too low on the board. And I just bought into the narrative a little bit because he was old, old. I know. <laughs> he was old, old. You know, like, is it that that was the if he was doing this at, you know, if he had the season he had when he was. Yeah. 20 yeah. you know i would have he would have been top 10 mm -hmm. easy right. probably for everybody but you know he was very old and that, that's the only thing but even still you now you yeah. look at it and you're right away you're like obviously right. he was gonna be good like the kid's yeah. stroke is pure he's he's mm -hmm. athletic and right. you know shifty and all the smart right. all that stuff but but i mean you, you know you mentioned the duarte thing and i think that's a good example of when that goes well right like a role mm -hmm. guy becomes an alpha and he yep. becomes you know he could do either he could be an alpha or <clears throat> excuse me a, a support guy what came to my mind um, is the opposite end of that guys who um, are alphas and then can't you know accept the supporting role like a guy like Derek Williams he's a guy that I, we actually bring up a lot right Derek you Williams bring, you bring up who, a lot my bad I, <laughs> I have a weird vendetta against Derek Williams because this was before my like really deep draft days but yeah that's when I, I, I still love the draft back then and I was really high on him and I hate myself for it but anyway um I think it's really interesting and, I, and I'm actually really thankful that we're having this conversation because it's a really interesting thing to think about. You know, we're talking about a high school kid now going into college, but you can kind of see the breadcrumbs of what he might become. And for me, watching the U19 stuff, I'm like, he's kind of awesome as a number two, like playing off of Chet, you know, playing off of Jaden Ivey, play, playing off of these guys. I'm like, this is kind of perfect for him, you know? And so I, I just kind of wanted to end it there and say that, like, I, I, it's going to be really interesting to watch when he's in college. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you one of the other things that I want to see if he brings to the table in college, because I didn't see it really ever in the film that I watched very rarely. Playmaking. And if he's going to be in this number one option role here, like, get to that rim, bro. Right? Like, your size your skill level, yeah. your strength. I want to see him attack the rim in opportunities that aren't like uh, broken plays, transition, like just half right. court, like creation, like just go to the free throw line and get fouled. Like, is that going to stop a really talented player from potentially being a, a 20 point per game guy in this NBA where, you know, shooting and, and volume is so valuable? No, not necessarily. But like, uh, I mean, I looked, you know, watching that, the opening night Knicks for Celtics, that uh, unbelievable game, like Jason Tatum was what, four for 30, <laughs> right? And like not attacking, the, like in those scenarios, is Patrick Baldwin Jr. when he's having an off night like that, 
is he going to keep letting it fly or is he going to be the type mm. of guy who's like, all right, shots not dropping tonight. How am I going to get right. my points efficiently? Like, all right, let me, let me use my, my strength, my skill. And let me get to the line a little bit. Cause uh, you know, and, and this is another thing I wanted to talk about. Like what position do you think he is? Is he a three? Is he a four? I think in college, he, I mean, I think all, he's going to be able to swing between both of those positions, right? In college, he's going to be really hard to guard for threes and fours because he's going to mm-hmm. be bigger than college threes and right. he, and he's going to be way smoother and quicker than college fours. So mm-hmm. he's got to be able to take advantage of mismatches. And when he's got a big on him, yeah, I need to see him get to the rim. I agree. I Dude, I, I really, really agree. What I wrote in my notes, would like for him to attack the rim more. Yeah. But I thought he showed some signs in the U19 games, was what I wrote. I, mm-hmm. there, there was a little bit there. Um, as you mentioned, I think a lot of it was in transition. Um, I don't know, man. In terms of position, I, it, it, he kind of does feel like a tweener. In my head, I was like, is he just a gigantic two? Um, not yeah. sure, right? Because, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I was watching the Hawks the other day, and I was like, is Cam Reddish seven feet tall? Like, He, he looks dude. Right? Oh. It looks like he grew his... <laughs> He's got like the like cool hair that like I think gives yeah. him a, a couple of inches. Yeah, but he, you can tell he looks bigger, like yeah. he looks taller and longer. But anyway, like I, I was wondering, like is he going to be like a Cam Reddish type? You know, of course Cam Reddish is. We'll have a Cam Reddish discussion one day because okay. I I love that guy and I'm so happy he's doing well now. But um, we, yeah, we'll have to bring our, our guy uh, Simon Hawks Simon Rath. Yeah, Hawks. Simon. Yeah. Of course, I'd love to hear Simon talk about Cam because I'm with him. I'm on board with him. I freaking love Cam. But anyway, uh, Patrick Baldwin, I, I think he's gonna have to figure that out. And you know, Corey, you're so right. I do think him attacking the rim is gonna be a big part of like what defines. Sorry, not yeah, but what defines like what position he ends up playing? I think part of it, at least. Um, but I did want to kind of not pivot, but I think it's all connected in this larger discussion that we're having about him. Do you? What were your thoughts on him? Like, I know you didn't like that he didn't attack the rim enough, but what were you thought? What were your thoughts on him as like kind of like a secondary creator? Because there was some stuff that I saw in the high school tape where I was like, oh, there's the coach's son. He's yeah. got court awareness. He's got a, a good awareness of his teammates. He's got a little bit of vision, not like amazing vision. I think you mentioned it in your video as well, but I kind of wanted to pivot and ask you about that because I think it kind of speaks to the larger picture that we're getting to. But um, what were your thoughts on his playmaking? Because I think it's interesting where I was just having a conversation with my friend about like modern bigs, right? And the short yeah. roll stuff and creating off the short roll and, you know, off uh, weak side stuff all that stuff but what did you see from him and how does that speak to what position you think he ends up playing i love it and i wish i i wanted to see more of it you know like especially in high school stuff and granted again like high school teams they play a zone a lot so it's yeah. hard to you know run like really cool offensive sets a lot of times you know I, like we had um you know we're in the off season right now but our, our season's gonna start in a couple of weeks but we've been doing off season training all year. I, I don't even know if we took a break, maybe a couple of weeks in August. So, um, you know, Oof. we've had summer league. We had, you know, we just had fall league. We just finished our fall league Sunday nights during football season. I mean, what are we doing wow. guys who'd make the wow. schedule? Come on, grow up. Are grow you coach Tibbs or what's going on? I, what's going on? It's like <laughs> seven forty-five game time on a Sunday night. Like, come on. Wow. But you know, we'll be doing, we'll go through like, our offensive sets and, you know, we're putting in all this cool stuff, double drag, Spain pick and roll, you know, like all nerdy shit that oh, I would yeah, make fun of somebody drag. for bragging about on Twitter. Right. 
Um, and then we'll just come out and a team will just sit in a, a two, three, the entire game. And it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, cool. Like, uh, you're just playing great. Syracuse every day. Like, what oh, are we yeah. doing? Like we're, we're in fall league and like summer league. Like, come on coach. You don't want to see what your team has one-on-one. You want to just sit in a zone. That's going to make them better. Like, what are we doing? Uh, <laughs> high school basketball is the worst. It sucks. <laughs> I love coaching. Really it. competitive. I, really I competitive. love, love coaching it, but it sucks. Um, I don't even know where uh, I was going with this. Uh, after, oh, the playmaking. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the teams, <laughs> they, they sit in the zone a lot of times. So I don't think he had the opportunity to show off the playmaking as much as I would like to have seen it. But I loved when he had opportunities to play pick and roll. I mean, the fact that you can he can either be a screener or a ball handler in a pick and roll is huge. I love it. I thought that he made some really great reads to the role man in those scenarios. You know, he doesn't have that vision yet where he's going to make like those Luca Trey young weak side hits necessarily yet. And I think that if he gets that, it's going to be, and, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Cause I do think he's got good feel as a passer and he's big enough mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I think eventually he can maybe make those, those reads if he gets the opportunity, if he does like, okay, that answers, uh, certainly answers the question. But I think that what I saw from him as a passer He's not going to be a guy that where the ball sticks. He'll he'll make the right. extra pass, and he can create in a secondary role. Right. Again, he's going to be the the number one guy. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what the creation ability looks like in that context. Um, and if he's playing so much off ball that he's not doing a lot of you know creating for himself and others, that might you know answer some questions mm-hmm. <laughs> as well, and and not in a, right. a, a good way, right? But uh, I'm into it. I, I'm into him as a passer. I, I mean. I like guys with feel and, and know-how and I don't need him to average five assists, but as long as he's not letting the ball stick and it's pound, 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 dribble, shoot, I'm good. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And like, I, I think it's a really underrated part of his game. You know, like unless you're really paying attention to DeMar DeRozan, you don't realize how good of a playmaker he is. Yeah. Now you being a Bulls fan and, you know, you being a real NBA head, Corey, like we know, we understand yeah. how good of a goddamn playmaker DeMar DeRozan is. And maybe that is kind of Patrick Baldwin Jr. You know, mm-hmm. like he, as you mentioned, I think the opportunity is big one. Like he really just didn't have the opportunity to shine, but now he will. And will he step up and will like, you know, Corey, you mentioned that we didn't see a lot of like the weak side hits like a Trey Luca thing. But one thing I did notice, like, I think it was in his brain. Like, I, I think it was there, but maybe he just wasn't doing it um, because for sure he had the the draw. Like he had the magnetism, you know, because all eyes were on him in, co- in high school. Everyone was trying to guard him or double him, whatever. So he was definitely there. But yeah, maybe he develops in that for sure. But um. Yeah. And at the same time, like we're kind of at like the midway point of the pod. I do want to say we've given him a lot of praise, but he's not perfect either. He's definitely not perfect either. And no. I know we both we both got some questions about him as well. Yeah. What what what's the biggest question you have? I, you know me. I'm a body guy. That sounds weird <laughs> to say. Uh, but <laughs> I like him to put on a little bit more weight is how I feel. Um, now, once again, I've been wrong about that. I've said guys were too skinny in the past. That I thought Tyrese Halliburton was too skinny. And then, okay, but I will say, screw you, Tyrese Halliburton, because I don't know if it's just me, but his shoulders look so much bigger in the NBA than they <laughs> did in college. And I'm just like, all right, like if you were just going to go and get, you know, well, bolder shoulders. and Wasn't he... Was he a t-shirt? He was a t-shirt guy in college or no? Like I like one of those. Was he a part-timer? 
I, he might, you know, I, and one, we're big time. Like, yeah. let's bring back the baggy T-shirts. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. we're we're big fans of the old school look. I, I feel like there were times he had like those that like weird, like short Under Armour yeah. T-shirt on. But uh, maybe there were. But then part of me thinks like I've never seen him in, a, in that T-shirt either. But uh, mm. the Internet can investigate. There's no way of yeah. knowing if, if we'll ever figure <laughs> out that that mystery. But uh, I actually I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on, on okay. the body i actually think he ended up like i thought he like his body looks like it's progressing nicely at the, okay. the fibas which is you know the, the latest film that we have he definitely looked like awkward in some of the the aau stuff mm-hmm. and older high school stuff but like that's kind of the thing like at this point these he's in what 10th 11th grade yeah um you know he didn't even play high school I, as a, a senior i'm uh I, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he it was just the, the AAU stuff. Um, so, you know, a lot of those, it's just old and your body develops at that age at yeah. such a rapid pace. I, I'm not worried about it. I think especially college strength conditioning, maybe he doesn't have the broadest shoulders mm-hmm. ever, right? But mm-hmm. I also don't think they're super narrow. I think he's just kind yeah. of average in that regard, maybe a little Halliburton-y. But I think that when you look at just his size overall, I think that he's going to be able to put on enough mass uh, yeah. that you know it's he'll be fine in that regard. So I'm not worried. Uh, maybe not as worried as you, but you're the body guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, technically, actually, you know what? I think you're right. I think it really was that. I was just looking at the older tape, and now that I think about the U19 stuff, you are correct. But yeah, I'm still, I, I, I want a little bit more. I think, yeah. but I'm with you. He's on the right track. Give me but a the one more. thing. Yeah, exactly. The one thing I did want to talk about, his handle. So mm-hmm. um, I do not believe that he's Reggie Bullock. That's I definitely don't think he's okay. there. Reggie, Reggie Bullock could not dribble four times without getting stripped by DeAndre Hunter or Trey Young or whoever last year in the playoffs. So I don't think he's Reggie Bullock. But at the same time, I think the way that I perceived his handle was more functional than Flash. Which is not a bad thing. I, I, I'm not really ultimately saying this as like a huge critique. I thought his handle was more functional than Flash. I liked his handle in the mid-range. Like when he would get into like triple threat and he was like setting his mind to do something or make a move. I liked that stuff. But there were a couple moments where I thought he was kind of reaching. And what I mean by that is like, you know, like all these guys, they learn combo moves and they learn these cool things. And I think there were a couple of moments that he made his attempts to do some of that and it kind of got lost from him. So I, once again, I'm not killing his handle. Um, yeah. I would like to see it progress in college and continue to progress because if his handle can continue to progress and his playmaking can continue to progress, then we're talking about a potential one a one b second option and so yep. I, I think that's where i'm at I, I i think the handle's fine he's not reggie bullock but um i think he could use a little bit of work i think i'm a little bit higher on his handle than you are it, i look he's not doing like alan iverson hang dribble crossovers by any stretch of the imagination but I, you know i i think i know where you're coming from with the handle stuff because like i said he's he, he's not as shifty as somebody who has like the ideal amount of of space creation but i do think that functional is a good way to put it but i it's like functional plus you know i, I like the three and d plus i'll, I'll say <laughs> functional plus uh yeah. because I, I think that he does have the combo moves and stuff and and i think with his size and the fact that he's 
able to shoot over you. Uh, it's it's at a point where his handle, and obviously high school, college, pros, let's get better at everything, right? Right. Um, right. But I think that the foundation is there for him to have like a, a good good size bag in isolation situations with his handle. But I, sure. I think that we're on the same page. Like, let's just tighten it up a little bit. Right. I do have a comp for him, and I'm going to save it for the end of the pod, but I think it okay. kind of goes into some of, like, the the handle space creation stuff okay. that we're, we're talking about now. But we'll we'll save it for, for that part of the pod. Let's move on to his defense. Yes. Okay. Um, what stood out about his defense to you, good right. or bad? I'm going to go from the top of my list. Ready? Okay. What I wrote here, terrifying defender of inbounds passes. I don't know why that stuck out to me. I was like, he just does a great job of using his length. Once again, that could be contextual. Maybe he's going against smaller guys. So he's just like a pterodactyl to him. But I don't know. I, I really liked, I think it spoke to the larger picture again, where I thought he did a good job of using his length, Corey. And mm -hmm. and I'd like to definitely hear more from you and how you feel about that. But like, I felt like for his size, being like a borderline 6'10 guy, I thought he was pretty nimble. Uh, on his feet like it wasn't like he was some incredibly active defender with his feet he, obviously he wasn't Draymond Green but I thought he was nimble enough um, if I had a critique I thought he was a little bit upright defensively but who isn't upright defensively in high school at this point right they all kind of just stand around and look at each other like stick insects so um, maybe that'll just get better over time um, I thought he was kind of an awesome weak side defender uh, he had some blocks coming off the weak side I was like that's great that that's freaking great five stars a plus check plus plus you know i was really happy with that type of stuff uh i thought the rebounding was a little meh uh was what i wrote in my notes um mm. I, I thought he could bang a little bit more uh, maybe that goes to what i was saying about his body like maybe he needs a little bit more booty action and uh <laughs> kind of back it up into guys a little bit harder but um that sounds terrible but um yeah I, he wasn't much of a banger i thought I thought he was more of like an opportunistic rebounder was how I felt about him defensively. Um, you know, he wasn't prime Reggie Evans, but he was there, you know, he's jumping around yeah. trying to grab stuff. So I think my biggest critique was I thought he was a little bit upright. Um, I think he can work on that, really get in the stands, kind of get low a little bit. Um, but I liked how he used his length. So those were the things that stood out to me the most, I think. You know, the, the rebounding is interesting because I think that he's got a pretty good nose for the ball. Like you said, he's not like finding a body, but, I think the trend in the NBA now is like there's a lot of uncontested rebounds, right? There's yeah. like guys are just getting back on defense. They're not really crashing the offensive glass. Obviously guys have that role where they're garbage men mm -hmm. and they're just, you know, doing that. But for the most part, it's a lot of uncontested boards right? Uh, or Long like rebounds or, or like your big man is boxing out. So Russell Westbrook can go and get your rebound. Like it's, <laughs> it's one of those scenarios. Luca, you know, can get the rebound. Just, just right? Steven Adams. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I think that he's going to be a pretty solid, rebounder in in the league maybe not maybe in college less so but also he's going to be playing in a you know conference where he should still have some pretty significant advantages in that regard as well i love his shot blocking and, and like the the weak side stuff and for somebody who you know it said 611 that's the the longest i could find with his length like that's good length it's not crazy length we're not talking anything significant here but i think that he did a good job of being a a big man when yeah. it was his turn to be a big man and, and helping out, I, you know, there were some really nice possessions and some of the AAU, which we talked about. We really dislike watching the, how just jumbled it could be sometimes, but you know, he went from like, you know, uh, guarding a guard to, 
you know, recovering on a drop off and blocking the yeah. shot at the rim. So he did he did a lot of stuff like that. Active hands, active hands mm-hmm. is, is what I would say for him. Uh, so I love that. And he wasn't always in his stance, but there were definitely times where he was able to smother guards when he did get into his stance. And I think that part of the, the coach's son thing, he just knew how to defend. He knows he knows how to stay solid. Not a guy who's going to gamble a whole lot. And I love that. And and in the FIBA tournament, I thought he was really versatile as a defender because he would go from guarding wings to being able to switch and bang with guys who were playing in the post. And he did a good enough job that like, I'm not worried if, you know, you get a big onto him and he's got to bang bodies. Like I'm not worried about that. And, and that's with him, not even, as you mentioned, you know, having the ideal uh, chiseled frame yet. So I think that the scheme versatility for him, I think he's going to be able to play in, in any kind of, defensive system that a coach kind of brings to the table for him. So I think he does have that going for him. I don't think he's going to be Paul George, you know, this kind of like dual threat two-way guy who's able to dominate on both sides of the ball necessarily. He's not going to be Jimmy Butler, but I think that he's going to be a two-way guy in the sense that he's not going to be a liability on that end by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think like uh, the best way I can think of it is like he's locked in. He's yeah. locked in as a defender. He's focused. He is present. He's aware. And it all comes back to that coach's son thing. Like, I think that stuff actually means something for him where it mm-hmm. shows in the way that he plays. Like, he's in the, he's a really engaged defender. I think you put that really well. Like, yeah, I, I like that a lot as well. I 100% agree. All right. Uh, do you have anything else about his game you want to get off your chest before we move into uh, comparisons? No, anything else I haven't that uh, said yet will come out in comparison. <laughs> okay, all right. So, uh, if Albert, garbage time mm-hmm. again, as they call mm-hmm. you now. Okay. If you're buying stock mm-hmm. in uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr., who may you have bought stock in previously? <sighs> okay, so so far I already mentioned Chris Middleton, which I'd like to get to. But the two guys that I thought of, I'm allowed to have two, right? You could have um, three if you want. Okay. Okay. I'm going to stay on brand. I think like 80%, 80% of the time I go to like nineties guys. Cause that's when I grew up, you know, that that's what I know. That's in yeah. my heart. Yeah. Two guys that came to mind. The first one I've mentioned him before, but I mentioned him as like a, not as a real comparison, but like what I thought ho- teams were hoping he'd be, but I'm talking about Detlef Schrempf, um, yeah. you know, from, from the Seattle supersonics, <laughs> Indiana Pacers. Um, I, I like Schrempf a lot because Detlef Schrempf was such a good passer, such a good shooter. I think he was a guy that was, way ahead of his time if Detlef Schrempf was playing now with his size and his fluidity and his playmaking and his shooting he'd be a superstar like I I really do feel that way and the next guy I'm gonna say might actually surprise you um I hope you don't have like a panic attack when I say this and I'd like to explain this you know Anton Jameson um Anton Jameson came to mind and so let me let me explain like Anton Jameson for me always felt like a one and a half or Mm -hmm. like a strong two he was a guy that was so gifted and so talented who was also a mid-range technician was unbelievable in the mid-range great Um, scoop shots exactly that savviness all that stuff um but i I thought of anton jameson because i feel like patrick baldwin jr might end up having a career similar to his where he's a guy who is so he has so much ability but isn't necessarily the guy that you would kind of put on your billboards as a number one, you know, even on the wizards on wherever he was, he was always kind of the second guy, you know, whether it was in golden state as well. So that's what I thought of in in terms of Anton Jameson because of like the mid range stuff, even defensively, I thought a little bit of Chris Middleton, 
You know, like he's going to be a guy who's active and focused and really competing on that end, but he isn't necessarily an absolute elite defender. You get what I'm saying? So yep. I kind of felt like all three of the, those guys, like especially like Detlef Schrempf, like I, he was a guy growing up that I really admired, even though he played for the Pacers and I was a Knicks fan. And then watching him in 96 for um, playing Sonics. for the Sonics. Yeah. yeah, I was like, God damn, like he is such a good player. And then like as an adult, when I think back to him back then and what he would be like now, like Detlef Schrempf would be unbelievable in today's yeah. NBA um, is how I feel. So those are my three guys. I hope they're not too weird. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thoughts on them too. Uh, Detlef Schrempf, incredible in Parks and Rec. Completely <laughs> underrated part of his his NBA yeah. history. <laughs> um, no, I, I actually I I like those comps. I, I think they're all interesting. I really like the Detlef Schrempf comp because I think that height, handle, shot, you know the the versatility, I, I, all of it. I think that one is my favorite of of all the ones that you mentioned. Mine is. Actually, uh, it's kind of funny because it's it's playing off a point that you made a little bit earlier where you said, is he a big two? I look at Patrick Baldwin Jr. and his game and even the way that he gets into his jump shot a little bit, the way that he doesn't have alligator arms necessarily like this guy does, but you know the length doesn't stand out. I feel like he's almost a little bit of a jumbo Tyler hero. Now, wow. the difference... Being right, Tyler Hero is a alpha personality. Mm-hmm. That dude thinks that he is the man. He said he right. I'm on this, I'm in the same tier as Luca, as Trey Young, <laughs> right? <laughs> he believes that. And he he's come out and after he got shit on last year where he didn't, you know, have he didn't come out and average 25 points per, per game as a sophomore, even though he did have a solid year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think people over it was a little bit overblown, but he's come out this year really with a chip on his shoulder. But I think the way that they get to their offense, their strengths are are very similar. The difference with Patrick Baldwin Jr. and the size and whatnot is I think that he's going to have a little bit more to offer defensively Yeah, where, where Tyler Hero can get picked on. He's not as versatile as who he can defend, who he gets switched on. I think Patrick Baldwin Jr. is going to be able to switch all different kinds of positions and not get beat up, as we mentioned earlier. But I think offensively, I really think that his game, the smoothness in which he plays, it, it really reminded me of Tyler Hero. And, and that's why I thought it was so funny that you mentioned, like, is he just a big two? Mm. But, um, but it comes back to does he have that Tyler hero personality trait in him? That's a dude. You kind of gave me a mind effort here. I Mm. did not see for me, like all my comps were like bigger guys, you know, I was thinking like six, eight to six, 10, the hero comp is really, really interesting. But as you mentioned, like, that personality thing is going to be huge. And it's so funny, Corey. Like, it feels like the overarching theme of our whole discussion here has been the personality piece with him. You know, mm-hmm. it's really it's really interesting how we keep coming back to that. And, I, I you know, it, talking about this, it really makes me think about, like, the whole d- development piece and all that stuff. And, yeah, man, it, it's really interesting how all these players – it's not just the ability, but it's context. It's also personality. It's coaching. It's all those different things. And I think it's so interesting to see how like these guys can go on different arcs and stuff like that. So yeah, man, I'm definitely kind of mine after right now by the hero one. But um, I mean, uh, that's, what's great about this segment yeah. of the show. We have so 
so many different guys that we we dive into to try to pull little pieces from and we can go from Tyler Hero to Detlef Schrempf and Antoine Jameson all in one segment yeah. and that's what that's what makes the draft deck uh a pretty great draft podcast it's that time though Albert okay we we didn't do one last week because mm-hmm. you know we were breaking down some NBA guys we we're not ready to give up on but it's that time I'm gonna need you to sell me this pen Mm-hmm. I'm going to sell you junior. All right, let's do it. I'm going to sell you this pen on Patrick Baldwin Jr. I'm sure if you're listening to this pod, you're somebody who watches the NBA. I'm sure you're an avid fan of the NBA. I'm sure you love all things NBA. Last year, the world champions and the current defending champions were the Milwaukee Bucks. And you saw the importance of positional versatility, uh, both offensively and defensively. You saw how important Giannis was as a defender, all the amazing things that he did. You saw how important Chris Middleton was on both ends of the floor. Drew Holiday on both ends of the floor. Bobby Portis on both ends of the floor. You see and you understand how important that stuff is. When I look at Patrick Baldwin Jr., he might be the future of that. He's a guy who can defend and will defend, I believe, multiple positions. He's a guy who's going to give you a lot of versatility, both on the ball and off the ball as a scorer, shooter, spot-up guy. But also, we're going to watch him develop in college. And so my thing is this. If you understand that trend and the importance of that versatility, then you're going to be really intrigued to watch Patrick Baldwin in college. You're going to see him play for his dad. You're going to see how his dad feels about him. You're going to see how he develops in those areas that we just mentioned. So if you're into that, if you're into a guy who's potentially going to be an awesome basketball player, you should be looking at Patrick Baldwin Jr. Give me it. Give me the stock. I want it. I want the Patrick Baldwin Jr. stock. I'm not going all in because I need to save, you know, I need to diversify the portfolio this Mm -hmm. early. But I'm gonna buy buy in early on Patrick Baldwin Jr. And um I I think what's one of the things that's gonna be fun about this draft cycle for Baldwin is that I feel like there's a pretty good contemporary in this class for him that's right there with him in Caleb Houston. Mm. That it's gonna be fun to juxtapose the the similarities, differences, and and successes that that these guys have at the college level. So Baldwin Jr., there's a lot of uh a lot at play for him this season right. and he's he's really intriguing just the, the from the personality the skill mm-hmm. the you know how much should be taken into account he's playing for a mid-major right. is if he's killing those guys is it a lack of competition or is he just you know really good if he's if he's not killing is it because his you know he's struggling to adapt to you know his team it's going to be a really fun cycle for for mm-hmm. his development and i'm excited about it um Anything, any, any last points on Baldwin Jr. before yeah. we get out of here? Well, uh, so is th- what I'm thinking is like, I want to, I want us to add a segment at the end of okay. our pods now. Maybe we can call it like study hall or detention or I don't know, um, tutoring with Professor Tulliba. But um, wh- what I wanted to ask you, Corey, was you just mentioned a guy like Caleb Houston and how today, I, I don't remember if it was you or somebody mentioned Caleb Houston on Twitter and there was an outpouring of fans who were like, yeah, this kid's going to be awesome. He's going to be all these things. And it, it, and it put me in a mental space where I started to think about NBA Twitter, NBA draft Twitter. We just started a website together, a new team, No Ceilings NBA with talent from all over the country. But it got me thinking, Corey, and I want to ask you, Professor Tulliba, about 
like NBA Twitter, NBA narratives, NBA media and journalism and covering all this stuff. And I want to ask you about how you feel about all this, because I feel like, you know, I, I know Simon has mentioned it on Twitter. And I think you mentioned today how Twitter can be such a pretentious place and whatever. We're embarking on this new endeavor to start this new website. And we're going to talk about these prospects. We're going to give our opinions on them. We're going to give opinions on the NBA. We're going to give our opinions on coaching and strategy, X's and O's and all that stuff. How do you feel right now about like NBA Twitter at large? Because I feel like I, I was thinking about it, dude, and I was thinking about prospects that I've missed on. And like, Corey, like I had this like gut instinct in me. Like when I see somebody else talk about a prospect that I loved, I like automatically want to respond and be like, yeah, I was in on him too. And yeah. I feel like everybody does that on Twitter. Yeah. But I, I kind of wanted to kind of get your vibes on how you feel about the environment of NBA draft Twitter, NBA Twitter, because it, I feel like it's a really interesting but sometimes kind of perilous kind of dark kind of strange world where sometimes i feel trepidation in sharing my thoughts because i'm not that i'm afraid of getting like railroaded by like followers or whatever but sometimes it could be a really toxic place so like ultimately okay Corey, my question is this how are you as somebody who's more of a veteran than i am how are you navigating this world right now because i think at times it could be really toxic well, ultimately, I think that, you know, this space, this draft Twitter space, and it's just a uh, more individualistic version of what goes on between fan bases on NBA Twitter. Like, you know, it's less communal because, you know, when you're when you're doing scouting, uh, typically you're in it alone, right? You don't have like, you know, I root for the Bulls, you root for the Knicks, you don't have the, the Knicks, the Bulls fans to, to lean on. And when, you know, I'm a guy who like, loves Shengun, like yeah there are like a group of Shengun supporters who maybe come together but then that same group who supports Shengun, like maybe they love zaire williams in the draft right and and i liked trey murphy better right so it's like so all of a sudden now you're splintering in different ways where a lot of times you know with fan bases they direct that anger that you know uh, negativity towards whatever fan base they're rivals with Ultimately, when I I think when it's done in good fun, it's that's what makes this interesting. It's why we're doing what we're doing and we're having people listen, watch, whatever our our content because they want to have this opinion. This they want a difference of opinion. They want to know why you know you don't think Patrick Baldwin Jr. is ready physically, and why I'm like yeah, you know, I'm in on it. You know, they they want the the difference of opinion so they could figure out where they is what they're thinking, what somebody that they trust is thinking where it gets tough for me and where it, I see the pretentiousness. You have to be really humble as a scout and you want to just hit more than you miss. You're not going to be right a hundred percent. And I think when you're like, personally going at somebody for their opinion rather than like for me like let's say like Davion Mitchell right I was all in on Davion I think that he's been playing you know he's had some real moments in the NBA he was great in preseason he was great in summer league and he's come out really guarded he had a big night offensively I think at this point if you're like hey Davion Mitchell's not going to be a pretty good NBA player maybe we were wrong 
right? You have to go back and look at your evaluation and look at yourself in the mirror a little bit. But when I go on like CP's show last night on Knicks fan TV and he asked me like who I think has been having a good show and I'm like, oh, I, you know, or who, who were you right about? And I'm like, oh, I think I was right on Davion. I'm not saying I'm not going out there and like I was right on Davion and I'm shoving it in the face of all the the idiots out there who thought that uh Jaden Springer was a better prospect. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. so when you see the negativity like that way where it's like hey like this person justified what I saw and what I was preaching cuz we're all just counting our Ws you know and we're not like yo I was I ja- I messed up on Shay Gilgis Alexander like I missed on him you know like I just I I didn't I thought he got drafted exactly where he should have I didn't think he was going to be this unbelievable isolation scorer who could score at every single level and nobody could really do anything about and would contribute right away I thought he was going to be a guy that like was going to be a role player and contribute pretty I thought he was gonna, his game was NBA ready he was going to be contributed as a role player but he was never going to be a number one guy I was wrong about that a lot of people don't give out their L's they they just count their W's and they discount the fact that like, all right, you're going heavy that you were really in on this one prospect that you were right about. But like, also let's look a couple of picks later. Cause you were wrong about this guy. I could already tell that I underrated Scotty Barnes and I loved Scotty Barnes and had pretty much Same. mostly positive things to say, but I'm looking at him already. I'm like, Whoa, I yeah. probably underrated Scotty a little bit. <laughs> this dude has got it. Mm-hmm. And I think he went to a great situation. And that's the other thing. Like situation is such a big part of, the draft cycle and, and, mm. and how players get opportunities. You know yeah. what I mean? Like good players don't always get opportunities. That's why in our last episode, I said I was still in on Mo Bamba new coach. Mo Bamba's looks like a, a much different player this year. Yes. Agreed. You know what I mean? So it, there's so much that it's just like, if you don't remain humble in this game and understand too, so much of scouting, of being like, you know, into the draft is relationship based. Like mm. You need to, like, you shouldn't be out there to burn bridges. You know what I mean? Right. It, you should just like, it, it should be, you're allowed to have disagreements and debates. I think that's great. And it's positive and it's healthy because it allows you to offer a new perspective. And right. hopefully when you're debating with somebody in the space, you're able to be like, Oh, you know what? I actually do see your point. And now my perspective is, is, is shifted a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to want to stay true to what you see. And even if you agree with it a little bit, you could still push back. And then maybe that right. person sees your perspective and now you have this better understanding. So debate is good, but when it gets to like an, an angry discourse and mm-hmm. eh, that's when it's tough. And, and there, there's this, and I tweeted about it, that there's a pretentiousness in NBA draft Twitter sometimes because it's like, again, it's like, sit down, be humble, man. Yeah. Like, a lot of people in this space that, you know, they, they use really fancy, smart terms and words. Mm-hmm. And they have this, you know, I, it's the SAT scouts, as, as I like to call them. And I love yeah. that shit. I do. I, I love reading all of that. I think it's valuable. But it's like, that doesn't make you, like, Better. just more interesting. Not even, like, more interesting than mm-hmm. somebody who's, like looking at film yeah and and like doing and and and, you know not writing you know words with seven syllables in them to describe a pick and roll like you're you know so there's there's a segment that sometimes it's just like this air of pretentiousness that Mm. they add to the fact that they're they're only going to brag about the stuff they're right about and not go back and also talk about 
equally what they're wrong about. And I'm not saying right. that you have to you know, talk about what you missed on mm-hmm. all the time. And I think it's fun to praise up the guys that you got right. 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 But, but be humble. Yeah. Be humble. And, and I think that that's, that's missing from some people in the space. But like a lot of people that were commenting, they're like, for the most part, the space is good. And there's yeah. really good people. It's just a few. But the algorithm, the algorithm loves the the spiciness. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it loves the the negativity, and it pushes that stuff out. And that's why it like, you know, it, it goes viral in within the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, the internet's hard to read context with because it's just words on a paper. There's no tone yeah. a lot of times, so it, yeah. sometimes things get misconstrued. I'm just saying, like. I, I think there's room in the space for everybody. Right. It continuously grows. And I think that's great for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different avenues and paths. You know, if you want to like, you know, do smart stuff and end up working for a team and an analytics department, like that's rad. Like right. fucking let's go do it. If you want to work in media or if you just want to enjoy it and do it recreationally, cause you always love the draft. Like there's room for everybody. There's right. room for everybody's content. And, you know, there's people that aren't going to take it as seriously that get stuff right, that the people that take it really seriously get wrong sometimes. And mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. So, yeah. you know, you got to it's it's a lot. There's so many players you need to keep track on. If you're not doing it full time and getting paid to just wake up and scout every minute, you're going to get stuff wrong. So yeah. with that said, like, let's all like humble ourselves a little bit sometimes and and just try to focus on like how to lift each other up within the community, make each other better instead of pointing, you know, your finger and being like, I told you so because, you know, somebody's enjoying the rookie that's on their team. Right. Damn, Corey. I, I, I just want to say, like, I'm actually really glad I asked you that and you were able to share that on this pod just because I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners out there who are, who've been writing with us who um, really needed to hear that from you because to be honest, I'm, I was that person, you know, I was a nobody, like literally, I didn't know you, I didn't know anybody in the NBA draft space, Twitter space, and you brought me in. And I feel like every step of the way, all you've done is enabled me to continue to learn and you keep pushing me to broaden my horizons and, and grow. And that's all I feel like I'm doing. And you've, you literally took me, who is a nobody, gave me an opportunity by but first off coming on my pod where we were getting like 30 listeners per episode you came on as a guest and then you brought me on and you're you know taking me on this journey and i just you know i really just want to kind of formally thank thank you obviously on this pod but i also think it's important for our listeners to hear this too because it, it can be scary right sometimes the, the idea of putting out your opinions out into the world and then having people kind of judge you for that stuff that can be intimidating you know it really can be and another thing that i was thinking about you were talking about variables and context and stuff like that like sometimes you know what i was thinking i was driving this morning and i was like i was just thinking about like scouting right and i was like Mm -hmm. scouting can be so unfair sometimes because you can do all your homework you can do all of your tape watching you can talk to people and whatever and a player's development is never going to be linear and there are always going to be all kinds of highs and lows. And you, you never really know how a, you don't ever fully know how a prospect's going to turn out. And I think in that way, it can feel kind of unfair sometimes from a scout's perspective, but I guess that's kind of the exciting part of it as well. Right. It's like gambling. Yeah. It's taking a bet. You know, we're 
betting on a stock or betting on these prospects. And so that's why it can be exciting. But yeah, man, I just want to say, like, I, I, I was thinking about this. I wanted to ask you on the pod because I'm sure I'm not the only one who needed to hear that. So I appreciate that answer, man. Well, well, uh, obviously, you know, I, it's my pleasure. And, you know, you talk about like, you know, I, I brought you on and, you know, brought you into the space. But, you know, you put yourself out there, asked me to come on, and then you did your job. Like, I was like, you know, I did a thousand interviews at that cycle, and you were my the favorite one I did. And I was like, you would make a really good podcast partner. But just like, you know, I brought you on, so to say, in the space, like, it's really just paying it forward in the space. Like, right. I've had so many people do that for me when they really mm. didn't need to. You know, like, Mike Schmitz didn't need to bring me on and make me a part of his projects. You know, right. like I was a kid who, if anything, was coming for his spot. <laughs> you know what I mean? With ambitions to do that and doing what he was doing. And instead of like standing in the way, he he lifted me up and, and you know, hit me up and was like, do you want to work together? I mean, I've had countless people do that from Alan Hahn. You know, he brought me on his show to, and interviewed me. Uh, you know, this is a guy who's on ESPN, MSG. We grew up watching and still do watch. Big time. And he didn't have to do that. But like, you know, it's you lift in this space. You need people to like, you know, lift you up and bring you along right. sometimes. And it, it in this new age of of media, of sports mm. media, there are so many non-traditional ways to do it. And technology right. has even the playing field in so many of them. And I think when we talk about like lifting each other up in collaboration, that's why this project that we're doing at No Ceilings MBA is so exciting because you know, we could look at Nathan and Draft Deeper, Tyler, backcourt violation, and the whole team as competition for eyeballs in our space. But mm. it's really the opposite. It's really like right. working with all of the people in the space and even guys that are outside of the space, right? Like our, our friends at the Off the Ball Network and Draft Capital mm -hmm. and, you know, a million other shows. You know, I know. Uh, Mark Schindler and Jake Rosen are releasing a podcast and I'm looking forward to listening to that. You know, our, our friends, uh, Richard and Mavs draft and, uh, right. you know, Raphael Barlow, with the, the locked in podcast network. Mm -hmm. Like I'm into all of it. Like I consume it. And I think that we all make each other better by being in a space and collaborating and working together when we do. And, uh, you know, it, we all offer different perspectives to make mm -hmm. each other better. And ultimately, that's that's what we want. We we love doing this. We love scouting. We watch. We love watching in these contexts. So when we finally do see NBA games, um, yeah. we can talk about it in a really informed way. But that stuff doesn't happen without working with other people. So I, I think that's one of the more fun parts of doing sports media in this context. The the playing field is leveled, and you have an opportunity to potentially work with people that you didn't really think you were going to be able to work with, right? In a way that wouldn't have been available even probably ten years ago. So I I. Let's everybody love everybody is <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Yeah, man, I, I definitely hear that. And I'm sure our listeners never expected uh, for us to have such a deep conversation at the end of this <laughs> pod. But, dude, I, I feel you. And I, I'll never forget something that you taught me. You said that anytime anybody ever asked you to be a guest on their podcast, you always said yes, no matter yeah. the size or the audience or whatever. Um, I for the first time other than the times that I've been on with you for the first time got asked to be on a pod. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be with, um, draft capital and them. So I love it. I'm that so was, excited you know, to listen to that, man. 
But it's it's funny, Corey. As soon as they asked me, I thought of what you said. And I was like, I'm not even going to second think it. I'm going to say yes, because that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Us keep, keeping that positive energy in this space and being a part of that no matter you know how much we're doing or whatever. So yeah, man, I, I just appreciate everything that you said and everything that you've done. So yeah. I can't wait to listen to that. You deserve it. You know, other people, other podcasts should book you to do the this stuff, you know, solo as well. They don't, they don't always need me, you know, I'll, I'll be available at other points. They could just scoop garbage time. Gim up, man. Hey, we're, we're, we're the best duo out there. That's why that's what no doubt. Is. No doubt. All right, Albert, tell the people where they could find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me at GTG NBA. Uh, my my Twitter audience is growing at a snail's pace, but it's all right. It's because I keep I keep going back and forth with my personal or whatever. But anyway, I'm just going to throw GTG NBA out there. Follow that one. You'll find me there. And uh, yeah, just love you guys always and appreciate our audience. And uh, shout out to um, your sister-in-law, right? Who did your artwork? Yes, sir. Yes, fire, sir. Fire artwork. Love it. Love the, the <laughs> colors. Love the, the aesthetic super fire i'm i went through a little bit of a kind of rebrand as well you know i i changed my handle to just my name at Corey tulliba which is probably going to be just it's probably going to be just as difficult to find on the internet because nobody's gonna be able to spell my last name but hopefully when they start typing it in it'll it'll just auto pop up um and uh (laughs) change the youtube channel name to the nba draft dude you know just which i like yeah you know a little a little bit of alliteration so Mm uh hopefully it you know, when you get to the channel on YouTube, you're like, oh, I bet this dude does videos on the NBA draft. You know, <laughs> there's there's nothing to guess about, right? So yeah. uh, with, with a little bit of a, a rebrand, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the hardwood is going to be more of the magazine of the clothing brand. And, uh, you know, you can get the links, you know, from my Twitter there, gumroad.com slash the hardwood. So that's all yep. all the stuff I, uh, I got today, man. So uh, <sighs> me too. That's it. That's it for this episode of the pod. We got we went heavy at the end. I love it. It was yeah. a conversation that, you know, was fun to have. Patrick yeah. Baldwin Jr. was a really fun prospect to talk about. Again, can't wait to see how he plays this upcoming season. And um, I think that's gonna do it for this episode of the Draft Cat Draft Act Podcast. So I appreciate everybody for rocking with us, watching us Always. on the Spotify app, listening on Spotify or Apple, anywhere you get your podcast. Rate, subscribe, throw us a five-star rating. Um That would be super dope. And uh, until next time, we are out. Peace. Peace.